Hey everyone, I'm Fallon Fulce, and this is The Strategist, a place where you can come to learn tools, tips, and tricks to ditch your toxic workplace so that you can actually enjoy coming to work again. Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of The Strategist. This week, I have a really special guest here for us. His name is Ryan Winters. He is a nationally certified licensed counselor who works for Hope Healing Joy Center in Lafayette. He works specifically with trauma, anxiety, and depression, and is actually listed in Psychology Today if you would like to work with him. So welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me today. So today I thought we would kind of a little bit outside of uh, his normal kind of topics that you would expect him to speak about. But um, one of the things that I wanted to discuss with him was actually styles of leadership. So I guess we'll see. Um, I think he's got some new interesting topics that uh, would be really interesting because there are some that I haven't even heard of. Uh, So it'll be really fun. So go ahead and we can get started. Okay. Well, Leadership for me, uh, let me give a bit of a background uh, so that you kind of get where I'm coming from. I I worked in a university setting, which is not corporate, but academia that kind of wears the garbs of corporate culture. And I was around a lot of meetings, a lot of, um, I've listened to some of your episodes, earlier episodes talking about, you know, the importance of having a meeting on time, of not you know, spending the whole meeting talking about, you know, just family stuff or, or, you know, and it's great to catch up, but is that the place for it and things like that. And, and being in academia, like that was every meeting, like it was a constant struggle for the leader of the meeting to kind of control the space and then get people to network and work together. And I used to sit there kind of twiddling my thumbs or doodling and, and just kind of starting to check out and noticing corporate culture is there in the academic setting. So as I've moved away from that and have this separate existence now, not, not involved in it, I do have kind of an outsider perspective and I've, I've looked into different ideas and, and ways of looking at the importance of self-care in corporate culture that I think are maybe a little outside of the purview of what currently corporate culture is pushing which is sort of an overachievement, intense, uh, everything needs to be perfect, be your best, always on top of things, always 100%. I want 110%. Like that is great for personal achievement. But when it comes to to achievement that is directed or centered on other people, uh, it's been found to be sort of a burnout plan. It doesn't mm-hmm. bring you to the highest good for you. And as a leader, if you're pushing those around you to practice that intense level of overachievement or even expressive, uh, I don't know what to call it, like overexpressive camaraderie, like it's like toxic positivity and things like that. Mm-hmm. There's, there's this culture that happens. Uh, so I brought in a, a book that's kind of interesting, which I've, I've only read a little bit of it. I'll, I have to be honest. I'm not going <laughs> to say I've read the whole thing, so I don't know how good it is, but, uh, I did like what I, what I got from it. It's by a philosopher by the name of Byung Chul Han, uh, from South Korea. 
he wrote a book called Burnout Society, and it came out in 2015. And his attitude is that modern society is gripped by an imperative to achieve. And that imperative leads to self-exploitation due to the self-policing that starts to happen when you become overly invested in achievement. Mm, that's so good. Yeah. I, and I can totally see that, especially being an overachiever myself. I mean, I can totally relate to that. And I know a lot of people in the audience can as well. It's, it's one of those things I feel like it's definitely ingrained in corporate culture because in order to be successful, the definition of that is to overachieve, like you over deliver in corporate because in order to be the best, you have to do more than the person sitting next to you because you're most of the time ranked amongst your peers. And so to stand out, it creates that type of culture. And it's interesting that you're saying it's it's almost self-driven too, because nobody in corporate is sitting over your shoulder telling you do more, do more for the most part. I mean, obviously they have the demands and, you know, uh, action items and different things that you're trying to work towards right. as a team, but no one is saying go do above and beyond, you know, although I would have to say I've been in situations where that was the underlying expectation. It's the culture. Right. Exactly. And then the culture gets it, uh, it goes from outside of your mind and then it becomes your mind. And so everything you're doing has this underlying sort of hidden subconscious expectation behind everything. And that is what tends to lead to burnout because every time you do a task, you're ultimately driving yourself into the ground for that one task, despite its importance. And then you start getting into a quantity over quality mindset too, because then you have to have more and more and more done in order to reach the bare minimum, which the bare minimum doesn't require more, but the expectation does. And that perfectionism just, it, it, it snowballs and, and cycles the, the depressive individual, you have someone mm -hmm. who is, has depression. One of the things that can happen is they get into a state of nothing is possible. Because it's just the burnout that happens tends to be from a sense of just constant societal expectation to a point where they feel they don't have the, the goods, the, the things they need, they're supposed to have. But that can only happen in a society where nothing is impossible. We can do it all together. Nothing's impossible. Yeah. It's like, well, pretty soon if nothing's impossible, then there's just something wrong with you, right? Yeah, yeah. There's just something wrong with the individual. And that is, that's the burnout. That makes total sense where it's, it's like you're creating almost like a unachievable bubble that everybody is going to be measured against. So if you can't reach that unattainable goal, which obviously most people can't, then it's your failure. Right. That's and it. It also brings in the whole like fear of failure and all mm. of those kinds of feelings of, because I've definitely struggled with that as well, where it's like striving for perfectionism, striving for this thing that really doesn't exist and being afraid of the consequences of what's going to happen if I don't succeed and get to that unachievable level. But 
And so it's like, no matter what you do, you always feel like you did fail. Mm -hmm. That's it. And, you know, leadership that keeps pushing that tends to not recognize the individual from a person centered aspect. They recognize the individual from like a cog in the machine aspect. And that's also what leads to burnout too. And Han talks about this, the secondary thing that happens, which is now not only are we achievement focused, but we have to be hyper attentive. So we become not only overly focused on our own failings, we become overly focused on the external world's successes. And we start comparing our lack of ingenuity or constant working ethic, you know, being constantly paying attention to your work ethic. Am I on it? Am I in it? Am I doing it? Am I, you know, there's all those phrases people say, like, um, you know, we have to look at the synergistics and all that, kind of, you know, all synergy mm-hmm. and, and, you know, all these lingo words that ultimately are really just about dehumanizing the workspace and turning them into just functionary elements of, uh, uh, have you ever heard of cybernetics? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's that cybernetic feedback loop where the social interaction starts to become less human and more numbers. Uh, it doesn't have a compassionate element in there. And leaders who have compassion, I found, tend to get more from their workers because they have a type of reinforcement schedule that's intermittent. And those explain that a little bit more. So yeah. reinforcement, right? <laughs> We're talking about old school conditioning. You know, Pavlov mm-hmm. yep. had his bell <laughs> with the dogs. You know, they salivate when the bell rings. But reward works in this in a similar way. And reinforcement is if you give someone something positive every interaction as a leader, then you never really provide them the opportunity to want to achieve at a reasonable reinforcement level because they're always going to feel like this person's always going to give me what I need anyway. So whatever. I'm not saying that you should remove uh, positivity. It's that you always ask for a little bit more than what the person can give is what what tends to happen as a reinforcement, uh, Mm -hmm. variable reinforcement schedule. And that tends to actually cause more problems because you're you're playing into the overachievement issue. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So, So leaders will learn to do variable reinforcement, but it ultimately causes panic, anxiety, stress in the workers because they never know that it's unpredictable, that reinforcement schedule. It, it, oh, it's not so interesting. Cons- consistent, but it's been in- ingrained in a lot of managers to do that from the psychological, you know, uh, what do they call that? The organizational psychology background. Yeah. And, and it, it, that's interesting that you say that because I've seen it and I think I've probably done it, right? I mean, because you emulate the people that you look up to and that you've seen as a manager. And I've definitely seen other people do this. And in a way it's framed in corporate corporate culture as it being a way to grow the employee. Like you ask them for a little bit more than what they're capable of when they deliver, then they learn something by getting there. But what you're saying Uh, is like, it's not really, that's not actually true growth and it's not healthy growth is what it sounds like it's almost a little patronizing like would you like to be in that position would you like to be on the end of that reinforcement schedule uh if you're hyper attentive too then you become quite aware that you're being manipulated so it's like not only is this after that yeah right and so the system not only introduces the idea of this this intermittent 
reinforcement schedule, but it ultimately also makes the person involved in it bitter. They have no escape because this is the leadership style they're stuck under. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely, I've experienced that. I've been on the receiving end of that and mm-hmm. unintentionally same, same have probably done that to my employees too, where it's same like, here. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> You're not alone. it's like, golly, man, that really wasn't really helping them grow. That was more hurtful because it really was just setting these unrealistic expectations and okay, hope for the best. Good luck. You know, because yes, I probably could have held their hand through some of it but at the same time that wouldn't have helped them grow either you know because then that's just dependency but Uh I mean I guess what is the alternative to that rather than well it becomes if someone is in that leadership cycle if you're the employee under that then you underwhelm the expectation of the leader Mm. then they set reasonable variables for you but that's kind of also manipulative on the end of the employee. <laughs> I think of uh, Star Trek. There's episodes in Star Trek where like the captain's asking uh, Scotty for a certain amount of something to be done in a certain amount of time. And he'll ask Scotty, how long do you think you can get this done in? And Scotty will re- reply in his, his Scottish accent, uh, <laughs> you know, I can get it done in, in 25. And then the captain's like, get it done in 20 hours. And, and, you know, it's like that. And, and it's funny because there was an episode where he whispered over to uh, Jordy LaForge. He was another engineer in, a, in like a different Star Trek, a different one. And he whispered, always tell the captain, you know, a little less time uh, than what you actually need. And he'll, he'll make it or make or give it even more time. Excuse me. So give it more time than what you actually need. And then he'll make it less. And then it looks like you did a good job. Oh, how funny. Yeah, so that that's that would be the answer to a leader who's who can't get out of that mode. But if you're a leader who wants to really lead in a corporate space and provide people fair reinforcement, then ultimately it's a constant state of asking yourself, what would get you moving? Mm-hmm. What would cause you to feel uh, the most excited but the least manipulated? That makes sense. And so it's more of really going back to what you were saying, where in corporate, we tend to separate out the individual personal from the actual, um, like work itself, like saying you are a machine in a sense where it's really getting to know them on a more personal level to the point where you can understand what their motivations actually are, like what actually motivates them rather than it just being setting unachievable goals. Yeah. And then another side of it that's sort of existential I always forget about is the fact that it it becomes very much, oh, I have all this freedom because they tell me what to do and then I go and do it. But it's freedom that's masked in the sense of I have to get it done a certain way at a certain unreasonable level. So how freeing is that really? So Mm -hmm. like you're given freedom, but it's a masking of freedom. So true freedom has a different feel. Yeah. But whenever that's the only thing you really know, mm-hmm. then that does feel more free than being micromanaged. But at the same time, yeah. it's like that's not real freedom. Mm-mm. Right. And what happens is the burnout tends to happen with those sort of spaces much slower, but it's still there because mm. it's masked. Now, of course, once again, this is not my personal you know, philosophy or understanding, but this is from from Han 
uh, yeah. Myung Cho Han. And it, it's a really fascinating way of looking at it, the, the theory. Um, my favorite thing I found is uh, he calls it auto exploitation and alloy exploitation, which let me get into these because these are also interesting. Um, so auto exploitation would be like you are the you, you're exploiting yourself. But alloy exploitation is that exterior exploitation, which we notice more. So those are just great words to to use to explain it. But uh, another thing I read was, let me see if I can find this quote I found that I thought was really excellent. Do you know uh, Nietzsche? Mm -mm. Uh, um, so uh, he was a 18, 19th century, excuse me, philosopher who was an existentialist and had a lot of ideas about what makes a person moral value and, uh, you know, production, hypertension. He's, he wasn't against it, but he was very much aware of it. He saw the industrial revolution happening. He saw that people were going to become machinized mm -hmm. and he started speaking out against it very early. Uh, but here's a quote that I really like from, uh, thus spoke, thus spake Zarathustra. I never know how to say that, right? <laughs> That's pretty impressive <laughs> that you even could. <laughs> He says, all of you who are in love with hectic work and whatever is fast, new, strange, you find it hard to bear yourselves. Your diligence is escape and the will to forget yourself. If you believe more in life, oh, if you believed more in life, you would hurl yourself less into the moment. But you do not have enough content in yourselves for waiting, not even for laziness. Wow. Yeah, if you believed more in life, you would hurl yourself less into the moment. And it, it's like a sense of like over that hyper attentiveness, over nowness mm. is not always the way. Oh, that's so interesting because especially now you hear a lot of people just be present, be present exactly where you are and all this stuff. And so it's interesting to see like even an extreme of that is not good right. like to be truly balanced. Like, you do have to have some kind of that's the word balance yeah. yeah yeah it's very easy to get into that toxic positivity because it feels so good once you've discovered it you're like yes i found the answer be in the now yeah but if your now is a prison in your mind <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's not a great uh you know place to be so it, it's sort of a a recapitulation of the fact that we have to manage our minds in a way that's compassionate and, and person-centered because mm -hmm. when we manage it in this more machinized way, not only do you get burnout, but your, your system falls apart. You know, that cybernetic system cannot function if the regulators in place are falling apart. Yeah, absolutely. So that's one intrinsic. Yeah. Uh, that issue. is fascinating so many topics that I hadn't, like I had obviously experienced a lot of that, but hadn't really put a name to it and like understood <laughs> like that that's a thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's really cool to see the, like my experience come in and meet the theoretical and like, Oh, this is actually a real thing, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, when you're in it, you know, you're not, you're not theorizing about, you know, well, how many regulators are causing this cybernetic functionality? You know, like you're not, <laughs> what's my reinforcement schedule? Like it's not something you're, you're paying attention to, but once you really notice, you start to say, huh, as a leader, I have a lot of power 
to shape a very complex system and I can choose to shape it into one that runs itself into the ground, or I can choose to shape it into one that is not just successful, but the people who are working in it are ultimately fulfilled at a deeper mm-hmm. level of freedom than, than I can pretend they're at. I don't need to pretend I can just give that to them as a leader. That's so, it's so empowering to know that you have that kind of influence as a leader, but it's also extremely scary. Yeah. You know, because that's such a big responsibility and a big weight that you put on. Mm -hmm. Although it's, it's interesting because it's like, I have definitely felt that weight of I am responsible for the well-being of these people but to again going back into the balance it's also it's they have to meet me somewhere halfway right like oh, they yeah. have to meet they have to show up to the table too i can't be the one to like drag them along because then that's not fair to me and so it's always this balancing act of where do we meet and yeah yeah that's the next next topic is uh how to help others who are under your your uh, leadership, I guess. I was going to say control, but that doesn't sound right. right? <laughs> you were under my control. <laughs> yes, yes. The management aspect, right? Like helping people to come together and produce results is sort of the attitude that's prevalent in most corporate spaces. Higher results than the expectation is what we just talked about. But what if you have those who are involved who are already kind of seeing that the emperor has no clothes and you're having a leader who's in that overachievement mindset and they are not functioning well in the group or the team. And what is happening is that their values and the values of the leader are not meeting anymore and the leader is not aware of it. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I actually, whenever we were talking about the previous one, it that topic kind of came up in my mind of how when you do have that power as a leader and you can run the group into the ground, but be completely unaware that that's the direction that you're headed because you think that the way that you're leading is actually successful and you're doing good and you know you falsely believe that your people are happy. Right. You know, so I've seen that too, where it's like this false sense of pulse on your group. Yeah. Anonymous feedback is one of the ways a lot of times that leaders can get the information they need without calling out the individuals who are unhappy. And anonymous feedback always provides a leader with one, some sort of funny comment that's going to make them laugh, something hateful that's going to make them freak out and then something that's actually helpful Mm -hmm. uh if no one participates in your anonymous feedback something's wrong with it because that means Uh. someone thinks it's not truly anonymous so if as as a leader you really want to know what your workers are thinking make a truly anonymous feedback Mm -hmm. and it's something that can't trace them something that can't handwriting you know you can't see it's this person's handwriting Uh, If you have a system in place, it's not going to track an IP address. It's not going to try to figure out who the person is. Be very transparent about your feedback and how it is completely anonymous and why. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because that makes the difference. Yeah. And actually, we started um, 
I started experiencing that at work that where they started to use anonymous feedback and the first couple of times that they did it, it was definitely a, that's not really anonymous. There's no way that's really anonymous. And so you Uh didn't have as high participation, but I found as they continued to do the surveys on a periodic basis, people got more accustomed to them and participation in those started going up. And Mm -hmm. so I think it was more of a, um, it's like actually showing them that it really was anonymous rather than just telling them, especially when in previous, like if it is a toxic work environment, people are less likely to believe you that it really is anonymous because they've been jaded in a way right? where they don't believe anything you say. So why would this really be anonymous? They're just using it to yeah. find something else, you know? It's kind of like when you have a pet and you're mean to your pet, right? Because it's only fair that, you know, all behavior is very similar. You know, human mm-hmm. beings are no, di- we're natural. You know, we're part mm-hmm. of the natural world. We're not some special, you know, mm-hmm. different thing from the natural world. We do respond behaviorally very similarly to all other species when it comes to basic instinctual response. And the thing about uh, reward and punishment is our brains react the same way that any, any pet would which is if you give a pet a, a negative statement or a negative way of thinking about you, it takes a second to earn their trust back. Mm-hmm. They, they don't want your treats. They don't want your attention. They don't want to be around you. They go hide under, you know, something if, if you like lied or, you know, tricked yeah. them and they didn't like it. Like, oh, here's a treat, bath, you know, like throw them in the yeah. bath. They don't like the bath. Now they don't trust you. Uh, why wouldn't, human beings be the same way you know it's that it's another type of intermittent reinforcement of neck of the negative reinforcement so yeah. if you have intermittent negative reinforcement you have a higher likelihood of distrust mm, yeah. which is what that unpredictability so that's you had to earn their trust back to get them to truly believe it was anonymous basically I, that's what i'm guessing happened that's oh absolutely yeah it was definitely a because it was a um, completely different set of management that started Mm -hmm. doing this yeah but there had been changes of power in the past and they um basically it was more of the same every time that it would change and Mm. so it was oh well here we go again you know and it was it took a minute for the culture to really start to shift but it's interesting and i know we're probably a little off topic but it's interesting (laughs) of seeing how much influence going back to our earlier conversation, how much influence our leadership actually does have over the company, because it all really does start from the top down where you are the one driving the company, yeah. whether you realize it or not. And the employees do to some extent, because there's that feedback loop where it's a leader does something and the people revolt, you know, or whatever it is. And, but for the most part, people typically respect the people in leadership for the most part until they're proven otherwise. Right. So having that power and all of that, that's so it's interesting to see like how you really do have that power and how it shifts everything in the company of, you know, just small things that you're doing of making, allowing them to trust you, giving them that opportunity to say, Oh, you're trustworthy. 
Yeah, I don't know if trickle down economics is real, but I know <laughs> that trickle down leadership is. Absolutely. Yeah. I've I've definitely seen that for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, anything toxic at the top will find its way to the bottom. It'll mm -hmm. siphon all the way down that hierarchy. And that that is an interesting point because it gets us back to spiral dynamics, which is this non-hierarchical understanding of of human value and evolutionary uh, uh I don't know to call that either. Um, sociological change, I guess, is what mm -hmm. it is, it, and psychological change that's available to people. There was a guy named Claire Graves in the 1970s, a psychologist, and he identified eight different levels of conscious existence in the world, ways of understanding values, ways of existing in the world with fear, ways of existing with others in a, in a system. And everyone functions in all these different ways in different quadrants of their life, they may be in one way of functioning and then in another way of functioning in another quadrant. So, you know, at the soccer game, they're this way uh, for their child. Like they go to their child's mm -hmm. soccer game and as a parent, they act this way with values. Then they go to like a family get together, like during Thanksgiving and they act this way with values. And then they go to their workplace and they act this way with their values. You know, it can change depending on, upon your environment, who you're surrounded by and the reinforcement of those around you. Well, that's interesting. And I mean, I'm definitely guilty of that where I act differently around my kids than I do around my coworkers, you know, and, and it's interesting too, because at times you can feel that those conflict against each other, Yeah, you know, and it's, am I not being truthful? Well, probably not. It's just a different facet of your personality, a different facet of yeah. who you are, but it kind of also brings up the point of compartmentalizing your life where I am this person here, I'm that person there. And in this way, I show up that way, you know, and having that compartmentalization, which also is not good either. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. It's like, well, if, if you behave the same way with your friends and you behave the same way with your workplace as you do with your friends, <laughs> then you might get fired. <laughs> you might get fired. Yeah. There is a need for it because of the type of values expectations that are presented to us in different mm. environments. And uh, Don Beck took Graves ideas and he turned it into a system. Uh, Nelson Mandela and Tony Blair uh, are two different folks who actually have learned about this and used it to work with others and, and lead groups and in, in more integrative ways that helped the individuals to feel heard to feel understood because they met them at where they're at in that space instead of trying to force their own values upon the person or force their own mindset and that is actually much more motivating if you meet someone where they're at someone who's interested in money and success and power is not going to care about how compassionate you are you know, with your Bombas sales, if you like using them as an example, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's kind of what this, this model is about. And it's, it's not a hierarchical model. That's what I was getting to earlier. It, it is a model that's like a bullseye and spirals outward from the center. They're all important to the bullseye existing, but one is not better than the other. They're mm. all needed to, to make the bullseye or make the spiral outward exist. So that's kind of like the metaphor is it's, it's all equally important. Each person's values 
sections. So I'll go through the different ones and then we can talk about the colors because I like that they put colors to each individual one. So you can kind of talk about it and be like, oh, that's a red, that's a blue. This person's an orange. This is oh, why. That's cool. So yeah, kind of, yeah, I enjoy it because it gives me a bit. I mean, it's, it's pseudoscientific in the sense that it's not provable as far as like a true theory can be proven in science. But sociologically, mm -hmm. most things are correlative and based mm -hmm. off of qualitative study. Ultimately, that means you're not going to get a really intense scientific background for something like that. So this is very theoretical. I say pseudoscientific. It, whenever I talk to my, my students about this at, at the university, I would always say that. I'd be like, this is pseudoscience. We talk about the whole thing first. And then I'd be like, yeah. oh, by the way, this is pseudoscience. So yeah. don't tell anyone that this is like 100% the way everything is in the world. It's a way of seeing the world that's helpful. So I'll start with that. Uh, cool. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so beige, that's the dawn of humanity, living in a natural and hostile world where it's necessary to follow instincts and physiological imperatives to survive. If you go to jail and you're in prison and you're surrounded by folks who have really intense instinctive response mechanisms and are not creating the most comfortable space, that would be kind of a beige situation. You're in survival mode. Mm -hmm. It's all about your resources and needs. And that's all you can focus on. To other times where that could happen is during natural disasters. Like if you're in a natural disaster and you're like in the middle of it, you'll get into a survival mode and get into a beige values responding, which is usually very selfish. It's very self-involved for obvious reasons. Yeah. Any thoughts about that? I don't want to. Uh, yeah, should so, I just move through them or? Well, we could talk about each one as we go, okay. I think, because it might be hard for people listening to actually like remember what was beige. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> um, fair. <laughs> so I think I definitely have experienced that. So I, um, I think you know that, uh, but I don't know if our listeners really know where. So I was part of Hurricane Laura and Hurricane Delta that came through Lake Charles, where I live. Um, and we were out of our house for a year and a half, and the area was just completely devastated. So I definitely firsthand experienced going into the beige zone of we're in survival mode. And it's interesting because I didn't necessarily feel very selfish in that kind of mode. But it was definitely very reactive, very like, what do we need right now? Yeah. Um, and it was, I think part of why it wasn't very selfish was because it was so widespread. It was like, it's not just me that's experiencing this. Well, it may have fallen under a different color. Oh, okay. The thing about it is if you're finding that you're not behaving in a way that is completely and totally about the self it's probably not beige oh interesting okay yeah. so maybe we can keep going and see if there's some other color Cause if you yeah because right. <laughs> if you think about like a, a, a riot uh, or like something where people are breaking into businesses to steal items that's not necessary usually in yeah, yeah. the case of a of an issue unless it's a way to like prove a point and that's more so political, i guess like so. what what would be, I guess, obviously the jail kind of example. That's the best. It's yeah. like you get back into a state of like um, basically just watching your own back. Um, yeah. As they say, CYA. It's that kind of mindset. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to find a lot of beige activity in a boardroom or in a, in a company. It's very rare. But you will see some of these other ones. 
uh, when we get further. But beige is very rare because usually that individual kind of ousts themselves because mm-hmm. they can't work with anyone else. They're so busy being rude, being uh, kind of intense that, that others around them can't. I mean, they usually don't get hired because <laughs> their yeah. <laughs> mindset is is antisocial. Uh, they have they could have antisocial personality disorder where they're willing to hurt other people to get ahead in like a, a true physical way. An actual, yeah. Yeah, wow. truly hurt. Yeah. So yeah, that's beige. That's it's gotcha. a much Okay, different... so it's like even more deeper than just like you're in trauma, like, oh my God, what just happened to me? Yeah, because you're probably bouncing between beige and then immediately moving into your, your um, what they would call your, your uh, the angels of, uh, what is that? I can't ever think of it. Oh, it's going to yeah. bother me. <laughs> I think President Obama used to say it all the time. And I can't think of it. So, uh, it's, uh, the angel, the better angels of our nature. There it is. Oh, I there knew. it is. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. So you're usually moving into one of these other, like outward on the spiral. You're moving into one of these other ones before you sense. act from beige. But you so may I guess think in beige. That makes sense. And I guess as before we go through all the other ones, the so would it be accurate to say like beige is at the center of the spiral and then yeah. like that keep the numbers keep like going further out on the spiral as right. you go. That, okay. That's our evolutionary center where we start from as, oh, cool. as okay. sentient beings and conscious beings. We start at a level of self-involvement, survival needs, you know, hierarchy of needs by Maslow. His mm-hmm. attitude was our basic needs, food, water, shelter. Um, yeah. I think sex, but you know, yeah. basic needs. <laughs> yeah. Then the next level, or it's not a level. Let me rephrase that. The next quadrant outward is purple, which is animistic. So this is where you go from I and focus on the self to we. And you start noticing that you're a part of a, a group, a community. And there's mm-hmm. that selfishness dissipates when you're part of a group or community. But this is where there's a lot of fear. This is where you get a lot of uh, the going to a spiritual advisor for help, a shaman, someone who can save you from the spirits and the fears Mm -hmm. that are around you that you don't have answers for. And then that group of consciousness, once again, may not see that in a boardroom, but it's interesting because if you think of going for a tarot reading, Mm -hmm. tarot readings have that vibe of like talking to the spirits to try to find an answer. And that would be in under purple. Mm. We don't really have a lot of spaces though in our lives that are at purple but with kids when kids are growing up they are they're in magical thinking right their worldview is purple they have that kind of like everything's magical they're kind of figuring out systems in their minds though this is why this happens so they so like as kids we go through these levels oh that's so interesting yeah because i mean i guess like as an infant all you're really worried about is making sure that you stay alive you know yeah and then customs and traditions as well. You start to learn those as a kid and you get really into them and you'll do them even though you don't know why you're doing them. You're just expected mm-hmm. to do them. Well, that's that's kind of the animistic attitude of purple. Now we start getting into egocentric. So we go back and it kind of fluctuates back and forth as we go outward from the middle. The next one's more like about the self again. So we go mm-hmm. backwards. So we, go, we went communal. Oh. Now we're going back to the self and it's egocentric. This is like individuals seeking to satisfy their impulses without guilt. I want what I want when I want it. I'm going to get it. You're going to, it's, it's kind of like toxic corporate culture, like intense. I'm a, you know, I'm going to, you know, might makes right. Only the strong survive. That kind of mindset tends to fall under this. 
and the uh, the world's a jungle where nature must be conquered. Mm. You and may have some color on that. That's red. Which, red. Yeah, I, it's good color for that because it's yeah, it's that's excellent. A warning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a flag. I mean, <laughs> and also, like in in feng shui, that's all. Um, the red represents fame and reputation. Oh, and so I didn't know that. That's very interesting, like to make that correlation between that because like that is what ultimately fame is, is like, look at me, look at me, you know. Uh, that's so true. Yeah. Profound that's profound, actually. That's so uh, interesting. What a what a connection. That is that is an interesting connection to me. And and it is about domination and power. Yeah. It's about, you know, getting other people's attention on you as a type of domination in a way. It's a will moving. You're moving people's will of attention toward you. So it fits in that way. And it's another one is it's all about respect mm -hmm. and no shame. Like I don't have any shame, shameless. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, you could, you could look at, you know, popular culture and probably find some leaders who fall under the red mindset. Oh, absolutely. Kind of, yeah. Might makes right and all that. And a law of the strongest immediate punishment, you know, Kings in the feudal mm -hmm. system, they mm -hmm. were about that red kind of like, there's, you know, we're, you're going to lose a thumb or something like they were yeah, willing like to very black and white. Yeah. Like this is yeah, my way highway kind of thing. And then finally, it leads to corruption, because an individual mm -hmm. who's egocentric is ultimately feeding their desires. And if they're feeding their desires, they're manipulatable by their desires. So an individual under a leader like that can ultimately use that leader to get what they want by providing them a lot of different incentivizations so that's red we should move on to, to blue yeah which is once again you're going back again it's absolutistic is how they call it so the ego is sacrificed in return for later reward and they're controlled there's the there's the law the rules the authority figure the book if you will that everyone follows and this is uh where you get religion that comes into society. That's that evolutionary level where religion starts and you get isms, all the different isms in ideologies. And it brings stability, loyalty. Uh, there's uh, actually, they say 30% of the population and power in the Western countries are in this mindset, the blue mindset. That's interesting. I wouldn't have yeah. thought that many people were in that. Well, but I mean, I guess of, so. There's so many like rule follower type of personalities, right? Well, if you think about what a government is, I mean, it, it is yeah. blue. It the just the structure itself is the state so of true. guiding others, right, through law. So it has to, in a way, kind of be that. So then it's like, well, well wait, what are the other ones then? Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> <laughs> but blue tends to be pretty, uh, pretty strict. Like there's a strictness to it. If you think of like knights who were religious in the you know, medieval times, mm -hmm. that's kind of blue. If you think about religious leaders, countries that are still shaping themselves, maybe di mm -hmm. even dictatorships can be blue uh, if they have like a religious indoctrination background. Like that, if it's like a religion that particularly involves might makes right from the red, they'll move into the blue. And then it's more about like loyalty to me makes right. Mm -hmm. Loyalty to the cause to everyone around you makes right. It's kind of almost, I was thinking like China almost in a way. I don't know if that's oh, the yeah. right connection, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which they're a red country. They're like a red. Yeah. With a blue ideology. Yeah. 
because it's like they don't I think they don't have a religion right it's a the government only right I think is how that goes it's been a while I mean they had there's so much I mean obviously historically that's not how they are but right how they are now today so it's just it's that's fascinating yeah and like like we we were talking about earlier it's it's interesting that when you go to one compartmentalized self to another compartmentalized self you can act like these different entities out in the world that you have examples of and you realize oh i'm acting like you know maybe not china but you know i'm acting like <laughs> this country oh i'm being more denmark right now you know <laughs> sweden <laughs> so I'm, I'm totally sweden today yeah <laughs> and and then okay so that's blue it, it's more uh law and that kind of thinking so if you have an, an employee who's more of a blue mindset and their leader is one of these other mindsets, then you have a way of helping them to meet your values. You know where, what they need to guide mm -hmm. them towards their success because you recognize their value at this, this particular need station of quadrant in that, in that spiral. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. It's like it, it puts it more in perspective of, what do they need and where are they so that mm -hmm. you can even know where to go meet them right it, that's yeah. it. it you don't yeah. know where to meet them if you don't have a guide almost to like say like oh this is this is what they value this is what they think is important i'm over here i don't think that's important at all so if i try to push that on them nothing will it won't incentivize at all in fact it yeah. might even make them look for another job if it, if it's really upsetting Oh, absolutely. I mean, so I'm somebody who definitely struggles a bit with too much rigid type of rules where it's, this is the only way that you can achieve the goal. This is the only way that is acceptable to act, you know? So I definitely, if someone, if I was in a type of culture where it was only black and white, and this mm -hmm. is the only way to do things and rule is the law, I don't yeah. think I would do well in that. And I don't mm -hmm. think I would stay in that kind of environment because it does not, I'm not there, you know, that's not me. Right. So that's a, that's a quadrant outside of your values. It's a quadrant. Yeah. And actually we may even by the end, maybe we'll, we'll label which one you might find yourself in. Oh, that'd be interesting. If Let's you do want, it. That's your call. Yeah. If you want to, you're more than <laughs> to, I won't force you to. Uh, so, so the next one's orange, which is multiplistic. And that's where we return back to the I again. We go from the we and the blue, right? We're, we're community, we're loyal to the community. And now we're back to focusing on the I. Uh, and usually this is, this is kind of where we're at in most sectors of the world right now. A lot of people are in the orange mindset, which is, I mean, that's corporate culture is the orange mindset. The ego takes a more individualist and calculated form to avoid triggering aggression by others. So it's still eye focused, mm. but you're paying attention to not causing waves, basically. And so you got autonomy, independence, abundance, understanding the rational world, change, progress through technology, striving to be the best. Everything is negotiable. Everything mm. you can negotiate, right? And this is like 30% of the population, 50% of the power in the world is focused at the orange level. So that is a very big thing. Let's say you have a, an employee in front of you who's in the orange level. Well, how do you incentivize somebody who's driven in that way? Well, this is the overachievement level. Mm. This is or, or a quadrant. I keep saying level. It's not a level. It's a quadrant. So 
because it's it's not better or worse than beige beige is needed sometimes you know if a child's about to be snatched up off the street and you see a person going to do that you're in beige mode you're not in yeah you're not in you know orange mode so that's kind of what i mean by quadrants too they're not better than the other so this one in particular is not better than blue and it's not worse than the one that proceeds after it it's mm-hmm. just sort of like a way of mindset uh, a evolutionary level of understanding of the world around you achievement focus mm-hmm. you know is that yeah, so resources I would say I definitely oh, go ahead. sorry no i was going to say i definitely growing up like my teen years and 20s i would say i was definitely in the orange because yeah. i i was straight up don't cause conflict mm-hmm. like how can i achieve but not upset the apple cart and 100% overachiever and i definitely thought everything was negotiable <laughs> <laughs> As a teen, no way. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Makes perfect sense. Honestly, it does. And and yeah. it's funny to think of it. If you, if you think about that period of time, uh, there's like Eric Erickson's levels of development. That period of time is where you're, you're forming identity and you're individualistic as a part of the development cycle. So it makes perfect sense that you would be in that state of mind as an or mm-hmm. you'd be in that orange kind of evolutionary process because you're in an evolutionary process just in your own development cycle of your own life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's so fascinating. Uh, okay. I hope it's uh, <laughs> I hope it's, it's something that others, if they haven't heard of it before, that they can get into it a little more and learn more. And I, I don't want to take up too much more time. But I'll go into green now and it, okay. uh, that's relativistic. So this might be kind of more that the egos put it aside again it's about the we but this is where greed and exploitation leads to interior exploration instead it's like okay well now i've focused on like being all about me and building a world that maybe doesn't take care of itself very well because i'm i mean i'm not being aggressive but i'm also not really preparing or planning to help the world it's it's sort of why we have pollution it's sort of why you know that orange mindset isn't about fixing it for later because if you're about me, you don't worry about the future. The green mindset is you worry about the future. You're into global benefits for the community. You want to see a call for collective thinking. You want to see greater sharing when you have leadership. That, like, if you're in a green mindset, you don't just be the only leader. You you might do a lot more of creating leadership spaces where you take a backseat and maybe you delegate out that leadership a lot more. And you ultimately don't even want to be the main leader. You just kind of say, okay, I'm not the leader in this case. You are. And even if they come to you as a leader, you're, you're like, I'm in green. We're in green mindset. You're the leader. <laughs> that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. So the only issues with green, as nice as it sounds, uh, it sometimes it can't sustain itself because it, it has a certain naivety to it that mm-hmm. doesn't, or naivete, if we, mm-hmm. if we will. <laughs> Because oranges don't do green well. Like they, like somebody who is self-driven and self-focused is not going to be about kumbaya and mm-hmm. that. You know, not to you know downplay the greens, but it does also cause problems with leadership. Because if you're sharing leadership, then it's really hard sometimes to get things done. Yeah. Too many, too many people, too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, exactly. It's like, who's the boss? You know, who has the ultimate say if you don't? Yeah. Yeah. And there's like a profit incentive for 
the orange mindset and in the green mindset it's less about profit and more about that humanity prospect this is this is what helps to avoid burnout so you need both kinds of people in the environment yeah you need greens and oranges if you have just oranges your company's ethic not just work ethic but maybe but like you know pollution or yeah, yeah like moral compass and all that maybe mm-hmm. a little less guided towards community and more guided towards profit yeah that's interesting because it's like i can totally see how in an orange mindset things like bribery and um corruption happen in a corporate setting because if it's all about me and how can i get ahead and not thinking about the future not thinking about how this would impact the company like that definitely i can see that and it's interesting that 50 percent of the power in the world is in that mindset because there definitely is that aspect of corporate and aspect of business in general where it is in that like well if i get ahead today then it's all good yeah and green green is only 15 percent. you know that that is a very rare mindset um which finally leads us to yellow by the way yellow is where we get to a very interesting this is only five percent of the population and power of the world uh, if you see social social democratic spaces where there's a lot more services and care for integrated systems so that the individual becomes as paramount as the system itself, that's that's this one. So it's yellow. And it's uh, it's not that old. It's only been around for 30 years, according to, to Don Beck. It's, it's kind of a, a lesser one because it emerged in the 1970s due to systemic theories such as cybernetics. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, so Graves, though, he was still around and he believed it incorporated all the previous stages and allowed for all of them to exist with understanding. So basically level seven is what they're calling it. They're calling it levels. I call it quadrants. Yeah. Yellow is kind of like, oh, do you know spiral dynamics? If you know spiral dynamics, then you're at a, you're at a yellow, you know, understanding. Because you see all the other ones working together and you know how to help each one thrive. Mm, It's like almost the kind of in the level thing of like the pinnacle of Mm -hmm. being able to flow between all the different quadrants. That's That's it. And so leadership under spiral dynamics is all about understanding what each level needs and noticing it and figuring it out in the moment and then providing incentive or group dynamics or delegation or whatever is needed to make your group successful, your team successful, having that guide ultimately is, yeah, that's yellow. You're at that mm-hmm. level of, of, of understand or quadrant of understanding. And then turquoise is the last one, but this is not really one that you're seeing a lot of because it doesn't really exist too much. Um, it's like global harmony due to an understanding of all the different levels and becoming even more uh aware and compassionate basically but you know that's like being like a a visionary guru type of mindset yeah i was thinking um i was trying to think of the phrase where it's like um we're all one or what forget exactly the how it's phrased but it's like the one is part of the whole and like you kind of see the whole big picture and kind of that like um pure awakening type of mindset where it's like all knowing 
I guess almost like godlike. I guess <laughs> I <don't know> <laughs> that's the right way to phrase that. Which, but if we're going to talk about overachievement, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I want to be an eight. <laughs> <laughs> you asked me which hmm. one I was. Hmm, eight. <laughs> eight. I want to be eight. I want to be eight. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's it too. There's like a sense of like I don't want to be a I don't want to be a red. I don't want to be egocentric and and you know have a tantrum. You know, and I don't want to be, you know, orange and be self-centered, but I also don't want to be blue and be like completely intently loyal to a, to a cult or to, to a cause that's beyond me. So there, there's these moments where we switch into all these different ones, but in boardrooms, you usually find people tend to be kind of at their average medium Mm -hmm. of value placement in this quadrant system. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't know if that'll be helpful to any leaders out there, but I thought that that might be some new ways of seeing things. I think it's really helpful. Actually, while we were talking, I'm like, man, I want to go and all the people that are in my group and try to figure out which one they're in. <laughs> <laughs> try to know like, okay, wait, are you like, where can I meet value? them? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, and it kind of, it kind of reinvigorates the need to, to make them human again to, to, you know, yes. it, and that's why I like it so much is, you know, we, we can spend time on the intrinsic, like, okay, well, am I building a toxic culture? But if we're also not looking at what they're experiencing in their own worlds, they leave your office, they leave your space, and they go live their own lives. And we don't know what sort of home life is going on. We don't know what kind of existence someone's leading when we're a leader for them. Because they, yeah. they have to act as a leader in their own life. And, you know, it's all just a bunch of leaders, <laughs> right? That's all yeah. we are at all times and responsibility comes in a lot of different forms and in a corporate culture responsibility takes on this hierarchical stage processing but if you're yell if you're in that yellow mindset that becomes irrelevant to your success because mm-hmm. ultimately if everyone is equally valuable in their own way and recognizing that and understanding how to use their value systems to get your achievements for your goals that's that's kind of the the mystery of the whole complex system. It's like, how do I really shape this so that it's not hurting, it's helping, but if it has to be like difficult, it's at a level that this person can handle it. It's at a level that this person doesn't feel walked on or taken advantage of or patronized. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Yeah. It, the image that I was just thinking of was uh, being the conductor of an orchestra and how mm. each instrument is its own. Like it, as a whole, you make this beautiful music, but each instrument has a role and you're yeah. not going to say, well, let me have, you know, a violin mm-hmm. take the place of the percussion, you <laughs> or know, the like piccolo, a, or the piccolo, piccolo plays the tuba part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> right. Like, uh... It's like each instrument has a role and it's no different in work too because you know you're not gonna one employee is not equal to another in that sense because they have they bring different things to the table but as a leader it's your job to recognize what those different things are and highlight that so that as a team you can be successful and allow the differences to be acceptable you know, like, yeah. yes, this one person may be great at putting together a presentation while the other one can't 
seemed to open PowerPoint, you know? <laughs> and so it's, it's one of those where it's like, but the one who can't open PowerPoint is excellent at going and talking to this other person and getting the information they need when the other person who can create the PowerPoint can't even step outside their office because they don't, they're socially awkward. That's, you know? that, oh, that's such a good point when you're talking about the teamwork structure. If somebody has autism, you know, mm -hmm. and that happens in work culture, often uh, in, in IT departments, places that you tend to find more isolated job types, those individuals struggle more to fit into this team culture and this and this expectation, and they're not being met where they're at, at all. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. it's like you're expected to be social, you're expected to survive. And it's actually why there's a significant amount of individuals on the spectrum who are not able to work in these spaces because the work culture doesn't doesn't have a that mindset of all of it's valid. Exactly. Yeah, because it, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where it's creating that underlying culture of overachieving and setting these impossible goals. And if you set the same goal for everybody, then that's not fair to that individual because, you know, one person may be really good at reaching that goal and they know how to get there, but the other person that's not important to them or that's not the way that they work. And so if you don't meet them where they are and set attainable goals for them, then that's how, you know, that's ineffective leadership and you're, you're not using your team to the full potential. That's it. And the other thing, though, is it's such a burden on the leader then to play this game and try to figure it all out. And that's another side of it is if that's the way you're approaching it, what level are you approaching it from? Or what what quadrant, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Am I approaching this from an orange mindset? Am I approaching this from a blue mindset? Am I, you know, so it actually helps the leader too to kind of reemphasize their own motivations and their own value when they're doing any of this work. Because you, you don't have to be yellow like all like mm -hmm. that that's perfectionism too like that's <laughs> that's intense too so like the balance is like okay well today i'm in a blue today i'm i just you know i just want the facts i just want to do the the basic stuff i just want to set the goals and be done do yes. my to-do list you know like that's blue right yeah but then the next day maybe you're in an orange mindset it's like well can we go outside of the blue can we do like more like stuff that gives me passion and gives me excitement and, and makes and brings us brings me further to a, a raise or, a, you know, yeah, yeah, that's fine, and too. It's interesting that you bring that point up because you may label somebody as being a blue, mm. but then the next day they're an orange, you know, mm -hmm. and so instead of it being this single evaluation that you do of your team it sounds like it's better to have it just be like an ongoing in the moment and just understand in that moment where are they coming from right that's it yeah yeah and you may have one that like you gravitate towards where you're typically a blue kind of person where you follow mm -hmm. the rules but one day you may be orange you know and so allowing yeah. for that fluctuation because and even i would say recognizing where you are first before you even get to the point of where someone else is because if you don't know where you're coming from then you don't even know where to start yeah that's a good point yeah i i hope we haven't gone too too far too long no this is fantastic the hole. <laughs> <laughs> no this is absolutely fascinating because i think that these are 
topics around leadership that not very many people talk about because they don't that like no one I've never at least heard of the spiral dynamics and how you can use that in a leadership capacity. So that was yeah. fascinating. Well, I'll be honest with you. This is like I said, it has that that air of not being fully provable. I remember I talked to a, an academic friend who was getting their PhD and uh, I brought this up as one of the suggestions of something they could look into in their work. And I don't think I've ever been left on read <laughs> as hard as I was with that <laughs> because it's not, it's not fully uh, integrated into a sense of like, this is, this is something that you can set your watch by, or, you know, it's, it's something that's just an interesting way to view the world. And I, I will repeat that because I do want it to be known that I, I'm not saying I, I go around <laughs> labeling everyone or, you know, thinking, oh, are you blue? Are you an orange? But if I see something in politics or I see something in, in government or in, in work, um, I, I, I think about it. it comes Absolutely. Up. I, I look at it as all other things that I have been taught about leadership and have experienced. It's more of just here's another tool that you can use to lead. Because, yeah, because like yeah, it's, I never look at, I mean, in general, honestly, leadership is almost a pseudoscience. There are some hard rules, but yeah, that's it's, a good point. Yeah, in general, it's not really, it's, yeah. no, there's no hard rule of like, this is what makes a great leader. I mean, mm-hmm. there are um, ideas and different generalizations that we as society label as a good leader but as far as for a scientific this equation is equal to a good leader like i don't Mm. i don't think we've really discovered what that is yet i think that's a yellow mindset (laughs) (laughs) are you sure it's it's not a turquoise (laughs) and and you see like there's that achievement focus it's like i want to be a turquoise i just want to be a turquoise Yes. I, well, that's a fair gold star, I think, because I think we all should strive to be our most evolved self as much as we can. But I think, you know, it's important to to note that, like, like if you really adhere to spiral dynamics, you're really more of a blue than a turquoise because you'd be like mm-hmm. overly loyal to a, the good the good book of spiral dynamics. Yeah, so ex- exactly. Yeah, it's almost uh <laughs> You're like boxing yourself into it and <laughs> right. yeah. it's like the complete opposite of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. But, well, it's, it's using a tool and making it a, a modality of existence instead. Exactly. And that happens a lot. I see that often yeah. in a lot of ways as a, as a counselor, I usually see that from other counselors, like they get overly invested in a particular type of counseling style. Like I'm only this kind of theoretical model and that's yeah. all they do. And it's like, well, that's good for this person and this kind of issue, but is it good for this person over here with this other right. issue? You know, it, it, it hasn't been shown evidence-wise to be, but, you know, that's maybe that's a conversation for another day about leadership yeah. and mental health. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a huge topic. I mean, I would I would definitely love to have that conversation with you because it. I think it's fascinating because, and obviously this is getting off topic, but mental health in leadership is so important, but there's also this element of isolation that leaders have where you feel like you're all alone. And so it's, 
it's so fascinating. So I definitely rabbit would. hole. Oof, let's yeah, do it. All yeah. right. You want to make it a date? It, let's, a do date. It. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. That'll be, be really fun. good. Yeah. So I think this has been an absolutely amazing conversation. And I would love for you to uh, tell my listeners where they can find you if they want to work with you, because I think you have been it's so fascinating every time we talk of just the conversations that we have and your perspective on things. So where can people find you? Uh, They can find me on psychology today. I have my profile under Ryan Winters as an LPC licensed professional counselor. They can also find me on our our website for hope healing joy counseling center. It's hopehealingjoy.com. And I believe that if they are looking for me, I'm in Lafayette, Louisiana, but ultimately if they type in my name, it'll come up. It comes yeah. up on the, on the Google now and it shows where yeah, I'm at. Yeah. We just moved into a new building too. That's been refurbished. It's wonderful. It's a beautiful space. I'm very, very proud of it. So if anyone wants to come and, and uh, see the space, that's <laughs> it's quite, awesome. I'm excited. It, we just recently had a networking event and a lot of people came and were very uh, kind about the, the space. And it was a great, that's fantastic. Great, now, do you do like telehealth or anything like that for people who aren't, aren't in Lafayette? I can do telehealth. I tend to try to keep it to the Lafayette area if it's a significant issue, but if it's something that's like personal you know, just maintenance. It's not mm-hmm. anything like I have, you know, panic disorder. Or I, I, you know, I have suicidal ideation or anything at like a heightened level. Mm-hmm. I can do telehealth, but I tend to refer out if someone has something that's uh, needs maybe something closer to home, just you yeah, know, in case. Because I don't want anyone to be in any situation where there's, just, you know, anything <laughs> that could happen. I want absolutely. them to have support close by. No, that's absolutely true. And I guess it's only in Louisiana, right? Yeah, I can only, uh, as a licensed counselor, work in Louisiana, but I can actually, this is fascinating, I can do telehealth from another state. Like, I can oh. go somewhere else, but I have to work with folks in Louisiana. Oh, okay. So, like, you don't have to physically be in Louisiana to do it? No. No. Oh, that's fun. Okay. Yeah, schooly life. Here I come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, this has been such a great conversation and I will definitely put all of your information, how people can get a hold of you, contact with you in the show notes for anyone who's interested. And I really hope to have you back. Thanks so much, Fallon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.